That's a hockey, you know, it's only, it's only game. Young men expressing themselves for joy. Why do you have to be mad? These guys are jerks. It's only game. It's a cheap game. It's only game. Why do you have to be mad? Hello, Kakapo fans, and welcome to episode 4 of the 2021 season of Mark Callanan's Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League Stat Attack podcast, presented by JN Software, powered by Kevin Ebert. I'm your host, John Newhold. Thank you for joining us. I'm going to have to stop saying that last week in the Kakupful, half the teams won and the other half lost, because this is the second week now that we've had a tie. Let's get statistical and find out why. On today's show, as Dustin continues his rampage across Tier 1, can the three podcast amigos catch him? We check out how the counteroffer trade rule is affecting the Tier 6 ruler division. Next, we'll review some of the special fantasy tools you can find on the world's greatest fantasy league website, kakupful.com. Mark has a return engagement with Ben Burnett for his second ever interview on this show. And after that, we'll dive into the stat attack deep end with details on players, including naming the fantasy team of the week. And finish off the show with Manager's Corner, where we'll review the Fast Track Leaderboard, the Manager of the Week, and the Matchup of the Week. First, our Tier 1 update, and the chase for the ultimate prize in fantasy hockey. Dustin and his team Primo Pasta continue to dominate Tier 1 as the only undefeated team. But a trio of podcast hosts are hot on his tail at 4-1, with Stat Attack's own Mark Callanan, keeping Carlson's Elon Dubrovsky, and Lewis from Short Shifts right behind him. No Tier 1 teams are 0-5, but time is running out for the 1-4 teams to get back on track for the playoff push. This week's highlighted Tier 1 matchup saw Jeff and his team Where's the Love go up against Michael, whose team was highlighted last week and nearly pulled off an upset against leader Dustin. This week, Michael was again loaded for bear, coming out strong with 74 points on night 1 with big games from Teravainen, Kubalik, Aho, and Jenner. He'd take a quick 22-point lead Monday and hold on to most of it Tuesday eventually ending the week with 244.55 points, enough to defeat all but one other team in Tier 1. Sadly, once again, he was up against a freight train that could not be stopped. Jeff would post solid numbers all week long, capped off by 70 points on Saturday, including standout performances from McDavid and Marner. And just to add insult to injury, Pierre-Luc Dubois would pile on 13 points in the late game Sunday to give Jeff a blowout 294.20 to 244.55 point victory. Michael finds himself at 1-4 after two heartbreaking losses in consecutive weeks despite a strong showing, while Jeff looks resurgent at 3-2. With no trades in Tier 1 this week, we're going to move on to... I, I'm sorry? Wait, I'm, I'm getting word in from Guy, our eye in the sky, that... There seems to be a major trade traffic jam happening over in Tier 6 Rula. Let's go live to Guy for the bird's eye view. Hi, John. I'm here in the Keeping Carlson Trade helicopter. I'm told this all started a few days ago when Khalil of Getting a Bit Anzi was out for a drive with his wife and co-manager Allison. It seems like he got tired of waiting for the traffic to clear at the corner of Konechny Boulevard and Domi Lane, so he made a sharp turn and got on to Radulov Avenue. He traded the slow-moving traffic at Konechny and Domi for Radulov. I think he got frustrated because they've been spending all year slogging through traffic on Zabinijad Way, Teravinan Terrace, and Mantha Lane. But John, he didn't check with Allison first, and she immediately pointed out that Radulov Way was under construction, and who knows when it'll get back up to speed. 
Sounds like he's got a good co-pilot there, guy. That's right, John. One can always use a good co-pilot, especially if they spend their days flying around in a helicopter waiting for trades to happen. Look, I don't know if now is the best time to bring up your concerns about recent budget cuts to the Stat Attack trade helicopter team. I'm just saying, John, sometimes we think going it alone is okay, but having someone there alongside you to give good advice is helpful. Allison suggested they focus on their original goal of getting on a road with good peripherals. So they messaged Sean of Lethbridge Wolves, and he countered with a number of alternate routes, like Giordano Street and the Grandland Expressway. But they finally agreed that they'd turn off Radulov Way and instead take the Anders Lee Way. So they wound up turning around, going back to the corner of Konechny and Domi, and then taking the Anders Lee Way. It's been quite a time here in Tier 6 Rule- wait, wait, what's this? I'm seeing another vehicle. It's Brian from Threat Level Midnight. He's heading down Radulov Way. Whoa, he's crashed himself right into the on-ramp. He's blocked Khalil and Allison from getting on to the Anders Lee Way. He's, he's getting out of his car. He's motioning to Khalil and Allison. I, I think I can read his lips here. He's telling them to take the Kirill Kaprasov cutoff to get past the construction on Radulov Avenue. And, and, and there they go. They're turning away from the Anders Leeway. Khalil and Allison have successfully traded the traffic at the corner of Konechny and Domi for Radulov Avenue. And all it took was adding in the Kirill Kaprasov cutoff. Wow, it's intense over here in Tier 6, John. Thanks, Eye in the Sky guy. So with all the dust settled in Tier 6 Rula... I'm sorry, John. I'm going to cut in here again. I'm just getting word that Brian from Threat Level Midnight is now in the back of a white Ford Bronco driving down Konechny Boulevard. He appears to be on the phone. I'm getting a live feed from the authorities. Yes, he's on the phone with Sean from the Lethbridge Wolves. And he's saying that he won't get off Konechny Boulevard unless Sean meets him at the corner of Giordano and Reimer. Wait, so you're saying, having just got on Konechny Boulevard, Brian is already trying to move off and get to Giordano and Reimer? That's right. It looks like Sean... It looks like Sean has agreed to meet him there. So just when you think it's over and one vehicle has switched from driving on Konechny and Domi for Radulov and Kaprasov, someone else is immediately turning off Konechny and has moved on to Giordano and Reimer. It's non-stop action here in Tier 6, John. I hear you, guy. This week, we're going to highlight the Fantasy Tools page on kakupful.com. This page compiles all the feeds, links, and spreadsheets in the Keeping Carlson ecosystem designed to help you succeed in your fantasy efforts. Need to know if your hot pickup is still on the top line? This page has a live view of the Game Day Lines Twitter feed and a link to the Game Day Lines website, which compiles practice lines directly from on-the-ground journalists around the NHL. Not sure which player to pick up next week to fill in your off days? Use the link found here to the Roster Maximizer spreadsheet, which Elon has been diligently keeping up to date despite the NHL scheduling department's clear vendetta against him. By entering the team names for the players already on your roster at a specific position, you'll be treated to a list of every NHL team and how many extra games you'd get during the week by picking up one of their players. The Fantasy Tools page also contains links to 
the Patron Projection Project, which was Keeping Carlson's crowdsourced preseason point projections, the preseason goalie tier spreadsheet and S'more Goalies Board episode of the podcast, and the Cacupful ADP spreadsheet, housing the average draft position of every player in the Cacupful. Cacupful.com, making your Cacupful fantasy hockey experience like no other league in the world. Mark's guest interview today is with Ben Burnett of Tier 1 and the Short Shifts podcast. Ben and Mark chat about the transition from Tier 2 to Tier 1, auction drafting, how he evaluates a trade offer, and more. Over to you, Mark. This week's guest on the Stat Attack podcast is Ben Burnett, one half of the Short Shifts team and previously of Average Time on Ice fame. He's currently the general manager of Little King Trash Melts in Tier 1 in Sweden. Ben, you are very welcome to the Stat Attack podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. I'm really excited. I have been on once before, and I have to ask, am I your first repeat guest? You are. You are indeed, yes. Ah, I'm so excited. Yeah, so uh, I might start keeping a ranking of who's been on the most times. Um, (laughs) It's good to get somebody back on, and let's ask a few questions about how this season is going, as opposed to how you did last season. Um, For those maybe who weren't uh, listening last season, can you just give us a little intro to yourself, where you're from, uh, where you live? Yeah, sure. So I live on the east coast of Canada, St. John, New Brunswick. I My name is Ben Burnett. As you mentioned, I host Short Shift, which you can find on the Keeping Carlson uh, podcast feed. I'm assuming most people who are listening already know that. Um, but yeah, no, I'm uh, last year I was in tier two, Ottawa, I believe. I can't remember actually if it was Ottawa or San Jose. And my team was uh, incredible. We I think we started 8-0 or something, and I was 14-2 and maybe when we recorded our last interview. And uh, obviously the season did not finish. I was in a tight matchup in the semis, so Lord knows what would have happened. But here I am in Tier 1 this year, and it is much more challenging and, uh, and difficult. I'm having a, a harder year this year, that's for sure. Yeah, let's maybe get into that in a little bit, just around how you found the the, uh, the dynamic or the switch from uh, from the lower tiers up to you know the, the big leagues. Let's say um, mm. before we go into that, can you maybe just tell the listeners one thing about yourself that you that that they might not know? Uh, I so I re-listened to our older episode today, and you asked me this question, and I said that I had moved quite a bit recently, yes. um, and so I think. Uh, I struggle with this one every time I get asked, but <laughs> what I'll say, I have very long hair now. If somebody hasn't seen me in a while, my hair is down past my shoulders. Uh, that is my current interesting biographical fact that I will share. Is that a COVID lockdown hair or is that just by by uh, by choice? Yeah, so I've never gotten past that awkward, like sort of long hair that boys sometimes get. And uh, this time I just, I had no, no one to impress so I just kept going through the awkward phase, and now we're we're on the other side, and I have to decide, you know, when when have I had enough, or am I going to keep it? For yeah, it's a fun fun dynamic. Is it hockey hair? Would you would you describe it as hockey hair? It looks like hockey hair sometimes for sure. And then when I'm watching, I'm a New York Rangers fan, and when I'm watching Mika Zibanejad <laughs> yes. with the flow coming out of the helmet, I mean, this year it's a little bit more depressing, but just in general, it, it feels good sometimes. Yeah, I, I jumped off the couch yesterday when Zibanejad got his empty netter. I think that might, <laughs> that might kickstart his season. You think so? I I mean, God, I hope so. Mark, I when I mentioned Zibanejad in our previous interview, you said you had a ton of Zibanejad shares. Is it the same for you this year? Yeah, obviously this season I, I had to go quite a bit higher for him in drafts. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, last season he was 
my my go to player. He was brilliant. Mm-hmm. I I loved him, and I kind of maybe fed that fed into my decisions this year a little bit. I took him in the second round of another league that I'm in. Um, mm-hmm. Big regrets there, but I I still hold out hope that he can come back to the player he was. He's certainly he's certainly underperforming, and there's only room to improve there. So. Um, yeah, I, th- I think that he'll bounce back to an extent. I think that the the exciting thing with Sabanajad is that next year you're going to be able to get him really cheap. And I think that a lot of people will probably, yeah, a lot of people are going to come off him. And he'll go back to being that high, like super valuable, underrated pick, I hope, next year. Yeah, especially when Lafreniere starts, um, yeah. you know, playing playing what we know he's he's capable of. Um, and mm-hmm. He's going to be an exciting player for years to come. It's an exciting time to be a New York Rangers fan, I'm sure, apart oh. from maybe the, the poor start this season. Yeah, I think that most people, like, I'm noticing, though, that, like, in especially in the patron-only Discord group, people seem to be more down on the Rangers than I am. Like, I just... I knew it was going to be a tough season, and I think that a lot of folks got uh, distracted by the fact that Chesterkin came in and won ten out of twelve games last year. Yeah. That was very clearly not going to like. He's not going to. He's very good, but he's not going to steal ten out of twelve on a team that's this meh. So yeah, yeah there's some very predictable growing pains this year, and uh, just don't don't get don't come too far off the Rangers. I would say moving forward. Yeah, so let's go, um, actually, since you mentioned uh, Shesterkin, let's go and look at your, your team this year. So you drafted yeah, sure. um, in the auction draft in Tier 1. You took Igor Shesterkin for $17. Um, he, Yeah, like you said, he's an exciting player who came in, got all those wins, uh, great numbers last season. But the thing for me that sticks out the most and what makes me most excited about Shesterkin is his KHL numbers, where mm-hmm. his goals against average was insanely low, like one point, I think always below 1.7 every season that he played which is you know crazy numbers um and then when he started doing it in the nhl there was this thing of you know is this guy the the next best thing the, the next big thing rather um so he was he was and is your kind of your your stable goalie you're gonna pin your hat on him i mean he's gotta be my other options in net uh i started the year with Uh, With just him, I guess. Yeah, just him and Halak, and I had Bishop on IR. And I ran out of IR space and ended up trading Bishop for Drake Batherson, who I've since dropped. And uh, since then, I picked up Vitek Vanacek. I dropped him this morning. So we are now back down to uh, just Shostyurkin. Yeah, I was listening to the most recent uh, Short Shifts podcast earlier, and you were you were talking about hanging on to Vanacek as long as you possibly could until Mm -hmm. uh, Samsonov comes back. Um, uh, that day is obviously today. Uh, Vanacek, <laughs> obviously you can't complain about how he's done for you over the last couple of weeks. You, you probably brought him in as a one or two game streamer and held him for what is it now a month? Three weeks, four weeks. Yeah, no, he. Um, it's hard to say because in the I, I was in a very high profile battle against my co-host Lewis in week two, and Vanacek had just come off. Uh, an incredible week that had propelled, I guess it was week three and Vanacek had won me week two. And so I had a Sunday, you know, big Sunday slate, me versus Lewis. I'm projected to win by like 15 or whatever. And that day Vanacek had a afternoon game and he put up like a minus five or something. And uh, he was just so bad on Sundays for a few weeks in a row. Uh, Again, yesterday, just the one point um, for me, but you know, like you said, it was found money anyway, so it's tough to get too upset about the fact that he blew me up once or twice, and I don't think that that specific game ended up, you know, anyway. Yeah, let's have a look at your um, your auction draft then. So how mm-hmm. much prep or what sort of prep did you put into the auction draft this year? Were, were auction drafts new to you, or was this something that you had done before? 
Well, I was nervous about the auction draft in general because I've done a few, but not for a couple of years now. I remember when uh, the Kakuffle began year one, I was in an auction draft division and um, I had a good time, but I definitely in the past few years sort of came off of the auction draft just because the length of time it takes makes it a bit more of a chore, I find. Mm. Um, I just prefer the like, you know, 60 to 90 minute snake draft. You're in, you're out. You get to obsess over your roster right away. Whereas like the auction draft, it drags out and you have so much time to regret. Every <laughs> every decision you make ends up being relitigated every time like another player of that position comes up. So it'll be like, I'm, I mentioned this on the broadcast, uh, the tier one auction broadcast. It's like, well, I was down to Shifley and Barkov for a, a center position and Barkov came up. So I was like, well, I'm just going to go out, make sure I get Barkov because I don't have a forward a stud yet. So I went out, I spent, you know, 30 bucks or whatever it was on uh, Barkov. And then three picks later, Shifley comes up and goes for $26 or $28. And you're just like, great. So I just, I already feel <laughs> trash. I feel like trash for wasting those $2 that are obviously marginal in, in real impact. But it, it just, the, the auction draft has a way of really dragging you through the mud, I find. Yeah, that was actually me who took Shifley a few picks later, so oh, apologies. Okay. No, no, I'm, I think that we're both fairly happy with those picks. Yes, yeah, no regrets from me anyway. Shifley's it's just the experience, you know, like going through the auction and just being like, so Igor Shostyurkin's a great example. Like he came up very early for goaltenders and I just figured like I was going to spend maybe like 25 bucks on goalies and hopefully grab two. And then I ended up getting into a bit of a bidding war with Lewis. And then all of a sudden I had a $17 bid on Shostyurkin and then the rest of the goalies come through and everyone's under $15 mostly. And you're just like, oh, good. Like, I knew not to, I didn't want to spend this money. I end up getting goaded into spending it. And now I have to regret that I did it for the next four hours while I watch everyone else go by cheaper <laughs> afterwards. So in terms of assigning values to players, did you have, say, did you have any prep done where you said, I value this player at this amount? Or was it done by feel when you got into the draft itself? A little bit of both. I think, I so... One dynamic that is for sure going on on my couple team right now is that I'm one in three. I'm projected to lose again today. So I'm going to be one in four. And I think that that's kind of a unique dynamic for an episode of this show. You, from the episodes that I've heard, you tend to interview people who are doing pretty well. So I have the uh, dubious distinction of perhaps being your first losing record guest as well. Am I correct in this? Uh, at the time of recording possibly it, it's oh. not a, it's not a tactic that i go for although i do try and interview people who i think will have um will have a lot to say and have been successful and can maybe share the tips for their their success so the fact that you're even in tier one is probably a reflection of your your ability rather than your position in tier one because you know tier one is 14 elite fantasy hockey players there's no yes. somebody who's who's bottom of tier one isn't a bad fantasy hockey player they're just no an unlucky fantasy hockey player. I think what I'm finding this year, though, and it's been very uh, illuminating, is that because I've never been in a position where I'm just like doing well and getting crapped on the whole time. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like any time I've been in a fantasy league where I'm losing, I've been like, yeah, the team kind of sucks or whatever. But it's very challenging to kind of have a team that you don't despise and you just have to stick with it through the uh, the peaks and valleys. And so I found that this year, a lot of the times in Kakupful, 
when you're competitive and when you're up at the top, you're really just focused on how can I keep this going? And you're so focused on your momentum and keeping that, that, that ball rolling. But in my position, I feel like I'm able to be a much more like self-reflective about what's going on. And I feel like I have a much more, um, I feel like I'm learning a lot about myself as a fantasy player this year relative to other years when I've been more successful. Yes, that, that's really interesting, actually. Um, and one e- extra aspect of this season that I think adds to what you've just said there is the unpredictability of COVID and, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the short turnaround time to react to games being postponed. And, you know, yesterday was probably a good, well, yesterday was a bit of a strange day with the... Um, with the outdoor game being split into yes. two, two games with a massive gap in between. Um, how have you found that COVID has impacted your season or maybe your approach to fantasy hockey or um, your enjoyment of fantasy hockey? Oh, wow. That last one is definitely an interesting... I mean, all of this is an interesting conversation to me. And I, I have to preface this answer by saying I do not want to come on the show and complain and, <laughs> and like sound like the I'm making excuses for my crappy start. But like... I definitely, I ascribe to the old mantra of like 90% of success is preparation. And one thing that I have learned about myself over the past couple years is I really struggle to prepare for newer experiences. And so for me, that was the auction draft, but it was added to the unpredictability of the new divisional lineups where everyone's playing against, um, you know, a, a pool of teams, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're playing like these, this round robin tournament essentially. Yeah. And so I struggled to prepare for that, struggled to prepare for the COVID thing. And then the auction draft, you know, the, the randomness of um, the randomness of values, but also, I, I don't know about you, but it, it was a big transition this year coming back into fantasy hockey from this past year that we've had where like, yeah everything is different like we're basically just adjusting to this new reality that we're all sharing which is like stay inside and change the way that you live your life 100 percent of the way and so coming back into fantasy like typically in the off season i'm spending like weeks of my summer building models and like trying to project players and like getting my own set of values and this year i did not do any of that and so my preparation was much more ramshackle than it's really ever been like i i downloaded the dom lucision uh projections and then i you know inputted some of my own values to there and kind of just made a tier list and drafted off of that i that's as sophisticated as i got this year and i know that i'm you know listening to elon's appearance he had mentioned this to us after the draft like he had described his spreadsheet to me and i was just like well <laughs> that's uh in- very very impressive like incredibly so so i i was not able to do most of that stuff through, uh, you know, for various reasons, really. But it, it's it's so hard, right? Like we're playing this game that more than ever we're aware of how meaningless these mm-hmm. results are, right? Like when there's even more suffering in the world than we're used to. Yeah, but on the flip side of that then, um, for somebody like myself who I, I was chatting to you yesterday on, on Discord mm-hmm. and mentioning how grim life is in Ireland at the moment, we've been locked down for pretty much the last six months and we've got another two or three months of it to come yeah. um like i'm very appreciative that the hockey is even going ahead I, yes. I know it's not the most important thing in the world but it's an escapism and it's uh it, it takes my mind off things so uh well I, I did i completely agree with with your thoughts on it but for me um i'm just so glad it's going ahead even if you know if it might screw me over at some point in the season by you know i might lose a postponed 
player mm-hmm. and, and lose a matchup because of it. Um, I think my focus this year is just on enjoying being here. Um, yeah. Oh, and, Marcus, I completely I, I see two sides to it and the one is what you're saying which is just like thank god this is happening because the last year without fantasy was was brutal and i missed it so much but you also have this thing of like it I, this kind of got in the way of my enjoyment of fantasy football after a while where it's like there are just so many concussions so many injuries so many players that you end up cheering for that you know too much about their personal lives that it kind of interferes and so the one thing about fantasy hockey this year is it's just like the the guilt from like wanting them like cheering you're not cheering outwardly for a cancellation but it's difficult not to get that sense of serot or that feeling of serotonin when like your <laughs> opponent has three games postponed all of a sudden you know what i mean yeah and that's effectively you're cheering for it like you're not outwardly or or trying to but that it's just a very weird juxtaposition of feelings all the time this year yeah, the, the most common um, experience for me this season has been getting the notification on my phone that a game has been postponed mm-hmm. and jumping straight into fantasy to see which uh, mm-hmm. or how many <laughs> players my opponent has in yes. the affected teams. Um, it's like, yeah, it's a little bit of a guilty pleasure when you see that somebody has lost players, but hopefully it will balance out over, over the season. I agree, I'm, yeah. I'm sure it, it won't, but, you know, even for the most part, if it does, good. Well, it's interesting, right? Like there are teams that have nine a difference of nine games played right now, and the the Stars are in their second closure of the year. This time, not even for COVID, and it's kind of like, damn, should I just be going out and getting you know every Dallas Stars player and just gearing up for the fact that they're going to spam games played over the next few year or a few weeks, or is it a fool's errand because they're not going to be able to do it? Like it's just a, it's a very it's a different calculus this year, right? Yeah, and I definitely have fears that the season format and the season layout may change and that the schedule mm-hmm. may, they may do something with it where teams don't finish their season if they don't have to, if, if they're exactly. not playoff teams. So, um, yeah, I think there's there's choppy waters ahead in terms of uh, fantasy, particularly when it gets down to the playoffs. But look, let's enjoy the ride. Let's be thankful that it's here yes. and let's, let's not get too upset if, if things don't go our way. And that's why we do this, our shows, right? Is because like this is our joy in the world that we that we do get to kind of escape from. And uh, I think for me, uh, I mentioned that losing, like having a losing record in Cupful has given me a little bit of a different perspective. And I definitely feel like, you know, just appreciating that I'm in this league with the 13 of you folks who are like all so good. And then I'm competing against you at all is just it's so fun like i'm i'm having an amazing time even though i'm tilting out of my brain 24 <laughs> 7 yeah so just to, to uh, focus on your tilting then you've made um as of yesterday anyway i think you've made the most moves of any tier one team in terms oh my of god that. really <laughs> yeah <laughs> i did not know that um 21 moves so far this season um you've made a few trades as well you've had mm-hmm. uh, are they all dave Benton trades am i right all your trades <laughs> well have been i dave? did it I had one trade. I was trading Yamamoto for uh, for Buchnevic, and then I got countered by Dave. So I, I made uh, arrangements with Jordan and then ended up taking a counter offer. But all of my completed trades, I do believe, are with cousin Dave Benton. Shouts out, Dave. 
Yeah, so uh, let's have a look at those trades, actually. So you sure. sent you sent Sean Monaghan to him for Mantha and Burakovsky. You sent Ben Bishop, who you mentioned earlier, um, who's, who's going to be on IR for a good portion of the season, uh, for Drake Batherson, who you, you said you've dropped, and then Yamamoto for Konechny, uh, who's currently on IR. Um, just in terms of uh, of trades, so I don't think I've ever actually made a trade in the Cupful. Um, <laughs> I'm just It's something... I think it's the fear of losing a trade that, that puts mm-hmm. me off. I, I'm not a big risk taker in general in, in life. Um, when you receive a trade offer, how do you evaluate it? Is it good feel? Do you look at the, the numbers? Do you go back to your projections at the start of the season? Or what's your process there? Mostly, I look at the numbers. And if we were a categories league, it would be much more gut feel because I could. there are different strategies for winning, right? You can... Mm chase the back-end categories you can look for points whatever it is but definitely in cupful where everything boils down to an average games played number i look at projections i sort of um play around i think that brian answered this question recently i think it was brian anyway but i i sort of i related basically directly to what he said which is like look at the numbers look at other people's projections sort of factor in whether i think their shooting percentage is likely to go down or up based on where they are and then look at how many points they would have if they were shooting at their career average um just things like that if i think that they're in for a deployment boost then i maybe try and uh factor that into my projections that's that's mostly what i do and then we have this added element this season of the Discord um, channel where you can go in mm-hmm. and check what people think of your trade after it's been made. Have you yes. looked at um, people's thoughts on your trade after? I, well, and I was actually having a conversation about this today. I find that the, the polls are super fun and interesting. And uh, yeah, I definitely, obviously I'm going to check the score. But I also have been using the sit-start poll uh, function in the Discord basically every time I have a sit-start decision to make, but I don't know that I've listened to the the Discord yet this year. And I, I don't know that, I, I don't know, for me, I just, I find it very fascinating to see like the heat check on some of these players that are in my mind. So it's, to me, I ask the question more to find out like where their the, these players' values are to the fantasy consciousness, but I don't find that it always changes my opinion of the player that I have. In fact, it rarely does, I'll say. Okay, it's so it's just an extra element to to maybe inform your decision, but not influence it. In, 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 Which I think it should be right. Like it's uh, so uh, the trade that I originally made for Yamamoto, I traded him for Buchnevic to um, uh, to Jordan, as I mentioned, and that trade. I think I was like, I think that trade was like sixteen to nothing for Yamamoto side. And uh, I would still have taken that trade if I still had Yamamoto. Um, I think that Buchnevic. I think that that side appears to be the better side. And so I'll say, you know, on the flip side, I made a trade earlier in the year with um, with Cousin Dave where I sent Monaghan for, you mentioned it, Monaghan for Mantha and Burakovsky. And that trade was very tilted towards me in the poll. And I would say that at this point, I think that, I think Mantha has still outpointed Monaghan since the trade, but I wouldn't be considering dropping Monaghan. And I definitely have had the, like fantasies about getting anthony mantha off my roster like it would be (laughs) i wish he wasn't there but i'm kind of stuck with him at the moment yeah one thing i have wondered about those polls is so if you see a two for one trade as you've just discussed there with the monaghan trade for manta Mm -hmm. burkowski would people's opinion be slightly more uh, informed if say they could see who was being dropped to make room for those two players 
Um, yeah. And I think that's tough, though, because in my position, I had an IR spot. Like, I just I had the roster space. So I'm sure that there are other trades where, like you say, that somebody's having to cough up another player and it is more of a traditional two for two. But in my case, at least, it was very much like I just get to add Burakovsky. I think I dropped Morgan Frost out of my IR at some point, and he was the player that I popped on to IR at the time. So, you know, it's I see your point, and I, I would be interested to know further context when judging those trades, but it's the context isn't always uh, doesn't always change things drastically, I guess. Yeah, I agree. Um, can I have a look, or can I ask, actually, rather, um, just around your approach to uh, the free agent budget, or the what, pre- what was previously called FAAB and is now called FAB, I think, mm-hmm. uh, FAB. So you've spent roughly half your budget, um, your, your allocated budget this year. I don't know, maybe there was a little bit involved in trades as well, now that we have uh, the ability to trade FAB. Um, are you one of those guys who's on team blow your fab do you do you kind of strategize how you're going to use your fab throughout the season maybe save some for the playoffs um or does your record this season kind of lead you to have to spend more on fab to try and recover to a to a winning record we uh, or i rather kind of answered a question similarly to this in our last interview um where i can't remember what the question you asked was but essentially my strategy is to roll with it and basically play it as you see it. Like I see when I'm looking in here, uh, a team like uh, Jesse Severe's team unfit to play has $92 left. And to me, that is, I think, overly patient. And then I look at a team, I'm going to call him out because he's uh, my co-host. I see Lewis has $10 left and I'm like, that's way, that is the other extreme. So to me, it's like, I'm trying to play against 13 other people. I'm trying to judge what they're spending on players. And I'm trying to also keep in mind how much I should need to spend for players that I want. The one piece that I've really picked up on this year is I don't want to hyper-focus on any players in the in free agency and just be like, that's my guy, I have to get them. I think that that's where a lot of my my impulsive and overspends have come from is I'll be like, well, I'm doing this research. I've been looking on, at these guys forever. And then I notice, oh, I, I think I might be the first guy to notice like, whatever it is, uh, Robbie Fabry, line one, power play one. And then I listen to Stream Scheme and I hear Cousin Dave talking about how Robbie Fabry is, you know, getting this great (laughs) deployment and he's got a great schedule. And so I'm in my head like, well, I noticed it too. I need to get the benefit of having noticed that. So I end up spending $7 on him, but I could have had him for four. And it's just like this feeling of over, uh, you know, just getting too in my head about my guys. I think that the best way to play this game is to try and look at, everything very equally as equally as you can and taking that feeling of like that fear of missing out away and instead assigning values as agnostically as you can to the players and that's sort of what i try to that's what i'm trying and failing to do right now and when you're assigning values to those to to say uh, free agents or, or streamers um what what are the characteristics of, of a good stream for you so is this more based around their schedule their upside uh, maybe their peripherals or the potential to hold them long term what what, uh, what factors mainly influence your decision sure and i think this year and in tier one of the cupful it's actually different than it typically is i'm usually somebody who's looking for season long upside off the waiver wire um you know obviously i'm i'm 
somebody who loves a good stream and I, the stream scheme is a great episode or a great show. I listen to it every week because I do find it very useful. I'll always have a stream spot, but typically I'm looking for longer term holds. But this year being so short, I think that I've kind of blown some of my budget going after players who I end up not really having much immediate use for. And once you're higher up and once you're in leagues with players who are as good as higher level of the cupful are high, higher tiers of the cupful are there's not a lot of advantage that you can truly have over like everybody is already so competitive and so strong that i think you just need to focus on maximizing your roster space which is something that elon has talked about quite a bit and i think that that's what makes him such a strong competitor in tier one is that he's just so good at maximizing every roster space and that's something that i have struggled with yeah, so I'm looking at the fast track standings here and I have Elan's team in front of me and of, say, the top 50 teams, I think Elan has the second most games played. Um, so that the ability to maximise your games played and take advantage of the schedule and make moves that, that fit your roster, I think really does impact your, your performance in the season. Um, now, obviously, drafting is a huge part of it and having the right players is important, but if you can have that nailed down and then also have your roster maximized i think it's a it's a winning formula and elan has shown that this year because he's the highest scoring team at the moment in in tier one um and he's looking good yeah he's a he's a hell of a fantasy player you gotta give it up to him yeah and i guess that's why we all listen to him and brian and, and <laughs> that's how all of this this uh cupful empire empire has uh has grown because they are two of the most knowledgeable players in in fantasy hockey and how is it like how amazing is it that we're here talking about a fantasy hockey league that exists only because two guys did a podcast and now there's hundreds of us competing and like it's just everything about it is so amazing. It's so fun. It really is. And it just year on year it grows. I think this year the move to Discord, the um com site, the fact that all three podcasts are so the Stat Attack the short shifts and the um, stream scheme are are all running kind of in parallel with the mm-hmm. with the main podcast. It just really does feel that um, yeah, it's a great community. It really is. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's nothing negative you can say about it. I'm I'm thoroughly enjoying being here and uh, long may it last. I, I asked Elan last week where he saw um, keeping Carlson being in ten years, and uh, I really do hope that it continues for for a long long time. Absolutely. I'm yeah. I'm just happy to. Like, like you said, we were chatting yesterday off the pod about what thing, like how COVID was looking where you are and how COVID's looking here. And it's just um, it, not to dwell on the, the negativity in the world right now, as, as we talked about that earlier. But it's, uh, it's an incredible gift that we've been given, like this ability to connect and communicate and, and meet people from all over the world. Indeed, and, and share a passion um, mm-hmm. for, for the sport and the, uh, the fantasy sport. Um, yeah. One final question I have for you, Ben. Um, we seem to share a passion or an interest in franchise hockey manager. Um, <laughs> do you find that that game helps you in any way with fantasy hockey, or is it just something that you use uh, maybe to escape during the offseason? I think that I use it to escape during hours of the day in which I should not... Uh, <laughs> I, I have no comment on what I use it to escape from, actually. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll leave it there. I don't know. I don't find that it helps me with fantasy hockey, unfortunately. Sometimes it'll be like, oh, I know that guy and like him more from fantasy hockey, so I might be more partial to going out and like adding him to my team. But yeah, no, I'm, uh, I don't think it's giving, a, at least not this year, it's not giving me much of an edge. I'll, I'll have to say that. 
Yeah, I actually listened to a podcast with one of the guys who creates the game um, a, a few weeks back, and it was really interesting because when I was a kid, I used to play uh, the soccer game Championship Manager, and that mm-hmm. evolved into Football Manager, and then they kind of spun it off into Eastside Hockey Manager, and now it's Franchise Hockey Manager. Um, it, yeah, I'd recommend that podcast. I might put a link to it actually in the show notes if, if anybody wants to take a listen. But um, I found that last year when, when hockey finished and um, COVID took over, that having that little bit of an escape through through a different game slightly similar and slightly complementary to to fantasy hockey and um, so shout out to all the franchise hockey manager fans out there and uh best of luck in your games yeah i'm gonna need to maybe spend a little more time playing it now that i'm uh that i'm struggling so if i if i lose again here today and i'm one and four maybe i should be I could better spend my hours combing through the free agency and uh just play some video games instead yeah, exactly. I just want to, before I let you go, Ben, I know you mentioned earlier that you're, you think you're going to be one and four after this week. You have a really, mm-hmm. really tight matchup um, this week. So mm-hmm. you are, let me see, you're, are you 1.9 points ahead with a projection to lose by four points mm-hmm. against Joe's team? Would you rather be in your situation here or Joe's situation? So Joe's. <laughs> right. Really? So you'd rather, have so. The, you'd rather have the projections in your favor than the lead going into the night? Uh, to me, it's more about the fact that he has Brady Kachuk and <laughs> Charlie McAvoy, and I have Jill Farabee and uh, TJ Oshie, I guess. Like, it's just when I look at the player, I, you know, he's got one extra game played coming up on me. He's or two, actually. He's got seven guys. I've got five. It's just more opportunities to hit that, to me, he has a better chance here. Okay, thanks a million, Ben, for coming on. It's uh, It's been really good to chat to you again. Um Congratulations on being the current leader in Cupful Stat Attack appearances, and hopefully you can make it three next season. I mean, my goal now is to get on here somehow before the end of the the end of the year. So I'm going to force myself in somehow. I'm sure. I might have to take you up on that. Thanks for coming on, Ben. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. Thank you, Mark and Ben, for that insight. Before we get to the player and manager stats this week, a quick minute to shout out some of those that made this podcast possible. A big thanks goes to Kevin E. Bear for his hard work on the statistical views you'll find on kakupful.com. Make sure to give him much love on Discord for his hard work. Also a shout out to jnsoftware.ca. JN Software is a software and soft skills training and consulting company. It was started 19 years ago by my wife Joy, and has since then grown to have operations across Canada and North America. Many fantasy players use spreadsheets like Microsoft Excel. In the past, corporate Excel training revolved around generic level 1, 2, 3 structures that didn't always help users plunge the depths of Excel's feature set. That is why JN Software has created 40 different Excel courses to target specific user needs. We offer courses that focus on pivot tables, charts, dashboards, power pivot, and more. Students can customize their own training classes by creating custom objectives and bringing their own files into their sessions. If you enjoyed listening to the Stat Attack podcast today and your company uses Excel, reach out to us at jnsoftware.ca and we can talk about how our courses can benefit you. Now back to the show. It's time for player analysis. The best fantasy performers from the last seven days are in goal, Tristan Jari with a bounce back performance and 28.05 points over three games. On defense, Neil Pionk and Darnell Nurse with 25.75 and 24 points respectively. At left wing, Ryan Nugent-Hopkins and his 36.25 points. 
at right wing a resurgent Kyle Palmieri with 32 points, but the real duel was at centre, with Connor McDavid posting an otherwise excellent 40.75 points, being totally blown out of the water by Fantasy Player of the Week Austin Matthews, whose 55.75 points made 23 managers in the Cacupful quite happy this week. Seven goals and five assists from Matthews over four games in a dominant performance. All aboard for Transaction Junction. Jesper Bratt and Jeff Skinner were the most active players this week, each generating 23 moves. However, while Bratt was added 17 times and dropped 6, Skinner owners were more sour adding him 10 times and dropping him 13. Matt Zuccarello had the most ads without a drop at 11, while 11 managers said goodbye to Alexander Texier and Alex Kalorn without anyone bothering to pick them up. Make sure to check out the transactions page on kakupful.com under the Stat Attack menu for more information. For Fab fans, Jesse Pugliarvi continues to be the highest paid player in the Cupful, with $248 in Fab spent on him this year. He's rostered in 100% of leagues, so that number should stay stable for now. Meanwhile, Nils Hoglander and Brandon Saad are up to 51 pickups each, but Hoglander is still only rostered in 70% of leagues, so there's some room for growth there. This week on Who's Rostered and Who's Not Stirred, a look at goalies. 25 goalies are rostered in all 23 Cupful divisions. Injuries have made Ben Bishop and Ilya Samsonov the worst performing of that group, but perhaps the most disappointing are Robin Lehner and Anton Kudobin, who've mustered just 30 points or less for their managers all year. The shocking best goalie in the Cupful this season has been Kevin Lankinen, who at 94.8 points outpaces even Vasilevsky by almost double digits. The Fantasy Points Distribution Report on the Player Stats page of Kakupful.com shows how the massive shot volume against Lankanen has given him a huge saves value advantage over his competitors, despite a lower amount of points from wins. The best performing goalies not rostered in all Kakupful leagues include Miko Koskinen, who seems to either get 12 points or negative 4 points depending on the game, Vitek Vanacek, who filled in admirably in Washington during Samsonov's absence, and even Martin Jones, who despite being rostered in only one Kakupful league, has actually accumulated more points this season than Tuka Rask. Linus Allmark has the greatest differential with regular Yahoo leagues, being rostered in all Kakupful divisions but only 23 of the rest of Yahoo. All of this data and more can be found on the player stats page on kakupful.com under the stat attack menu. Let's make our way over to manager's corner. A new leader has appeared on the Kakupful fast track, with the former Nicholas's team, now named Seeing Like a Skate, of Tier 5's Melker taking over the lead with 1,462.1 points for the year, on the back of amazing scoring stats, including 90 goals and 148 assists. Long-time top five member Dokdov Gusev is back up into second. Last week's leader weaponized cap space is down to third. Tier 6 Rula's Lethbridge Wolves have made their way into fourth. And despite Austin Matthews carrying me on his back, my team, Microsoft Excel, is still down in fifth. Remember, winner gets automatic promotion to Tier 1 next year, so make sure to squeeze every last point out of your rosters. This week's Kakupful Performer of the Week is Jason's team of Tier 5 Yakabeth. With an astonishing 299.6 points last week, they sit above water for the year at 3-2. Connor McDavid leads Jason's team, but he had just had an all-around solid team last week. Brady Kachuk, Brock Besser, Vincent Trocek, they all contributed big up front. 
Chris Letang held down the decor with young gun Evan Bouchard making a solid contribution last week as well. Jason's team used five goalies last week, with only Dreger and Vanacek surviving to the end, while Sorokin delivered a solid 11 points in his one start, and the duo in Columbus both providing negative value, preventing Jason's team from breaching the 300-point overall barrier. On this week's Statistically Unlikely, 16 teams are undefeated at 5-0, almost half as many as last week, while 18 are 0-5. There's a broad range of fantasy value distributed in those data points, however. The best 5-0 team has collected over 250 more points than the lowest-scoring undefeated team, while the best 0-5 team, AZ for Lottery of Tier 4 Yokerit, and their 1,191.7 points this year, sits only three short of the 1,194.8 points collected by Robert's Unreal team of Tier 4's Lungby, who are 5-0. and For AZ for Lottery, that is painfully statistically unlikely. This week's highlighted matchup comes from Tier 5 Anton, as 1-3 High and Dreisaitl faced off against 0-4 Henry's team. Back and forth all week, Henry's team grabbed a big lead with 65 points on Thursday to High and Dreisaitl's only four, as he had almost no players playing that night. But that lead vanished Friday and Saturday with Anthony Duclair, Martin Nikas, and Chris Letang putting up some big numbers. But Austin Matthews, 17 points on Saturday night, kept Henry's team in the lead. As it always does, it came down to Sunday. Weak performances from Deneau, Sanheim, and Sutzla for Henry's team left things in the balance. And with only Pionk and Hughes left to play, it looked like High and Dry Seidel might pull out the win with Horvat, Stastny, and Morrissey all playing. A peripherals battle ensued, and things were looking good in the third period as High and Dry Seidel was able to pull ahead with a 1.35 point lead. But suddenly, it's a Winnipeg power play, and hot new acquisition Pierre-Luc Dubois passes it off to Neil Pionk who rips a one-timer from the top of the circle and into the corner of the net. Quinn Hughes' assist with less than a minute left adds to Henry's team's lead, but technically extends the matchup by sending it to overtime. A goal and a few shots from any of High and Dry Seidel's players could claw back the win, but it was all for naught, as Dubois ends the game with an overtime winner, and the great comeback falls short as Henry's team goes on to win 234.3 to 228.4. Also a quick shout-out to Blake and Benjamin of Tier 6 Svante who watched Blake Wheeler and James Van Riemsdyk have huge nights for each of them on Sunday, only to find themselves finishing with just the second tie of the year. Weaponized cap space of Linus Tier 5 has taken over the lead for most moves made this year in Movers and Shakers with 27. Former leader Abundance of Pasta has dropped into a five-way draw with similarly pasta-themed team Pasta La Vista Baby, Doc Doc Gusev, The Ear Replaceables, and Jive Drobot. Top big spenders this week include Jive Drobot of Tier 6 Vasse, who spent $19 on Oliver Ekman Larson, and Eken the Prophet of Pella Tier 6, who spent $18 on Ilya Samsonov. But both were crushed under the weight of Walk the Line of Tier 5 Linus and their $45 acquisition of James Van Riemsdyk on Sunday. We've yet to have our first manager run out of fab, with Dewey's Dentist still sitting on $5. But Tier 1's Lewis of Puck Bill Platypus is hot on his tail at $10, along with Hornpain Bears of Tier 6 Rula. And that's it for this week's episode. Make sure to check out cupful.com for more stats on players and teams. We'll be back next Monday to review the goings-on around the league. 
In the meantime, you can reach out to us on Discord, and we'll see you in week six. Thank you.